You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Boutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. Now, uh, as we go through chapter 6 this morning, the title of our message is Worship and the Word. Worship in the Word. No, listen, when it comes to worship, you know, I don't know about you, but I've, I've been to a lot of churches that, that were exciting and, and, and vibrant and lively, but they lack the Word. But then again, I, I've been to other churches that were solid in the Word, and they were solid in doctrine, but they lacked life. They, they lacked vibrance. They, they were basically dead. In fact, I, I know of one church, and this is a true story, where, where on Sunday morning as the people came in for church service, they were surprised to see that there was a casket at the front of the stage. And then later when the pastor came up, instead of, instead of uh, you know, doing the regular church service, instead he conducted a funeral service. Then at the end, he invited people to come forward one by one to view the casket and to say their, you know, give their respects. And as people are coming forward, they're wondering, you know, who's in the casket? Who died? Now, meanwhile, the pastor had put in the casket a full-sized mirror. So that when they came forward and they're thinking, who died? They looked in and discovered they did. They were a dead church. They were a lifeless church. And so again, when, when it comes to worship, we need to remember that Jesus said in, in John 4, 24, he says, God is spirit. And therefore those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so this morning, we're, we're going to see that, that if that if if worship for us is only subjective, that, that is, if, if it's only based on, uh, on being quote-unquote moved in the Spirit or moved by the Spirit, or in other words, if it's only based on our feelings, then it's not true worship because Jesus said we worship in Spirit and in truth. But then again, on the other hand, if we know the truth, but we are merely going through the motions of worship, well, then our worship is empty and, and, and meaningless. Or as the Apostle Paul put it in 2 Timothy 3, 5, he says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And so this morning, we're, we're going we're gonna to see that the true worship is not one or the other. True worship is the balance of both. It's worship and the word. So now with that, as we pick up the first 11 verses of chapter 6, we see that David does the right thing the wrong way. He does the right thing the wrong way. Verse 1, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and he went with the people who were with him from, from Baal, Judah, up, uh, up from, from the ark, I'm sorry, to bring up the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark on a new cart and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which, which was on the hill, and Uzzah and, and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and, and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nakon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and, 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 and took hold of it, for the oxen had stumbled. And the anger of the Lord kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and the place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? And so David was not willing to make the ark of the Lord, uh, to, to bring the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed Edom the Gittite, and the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed Edom and all his household. We pause here. So now as we read this, let's keep in mind that, that David was doing a good thing. This was a good thing. This was, I mean, you know, it was, it was coming from, from good intentions. It was well-meaning. His heart was right. 
Now, keep in mind, last week in chapter 5, we saw that, that David had conquered the, the, the city of Jerusalem. He defeated the Jebusites, conquered the city of Jerusalem, and now he's not only making Jerusalem the political capital of Israel, but also the worship capital of the nation. And, and, and so really, what he's doing is he's making worship the center of the nation. And so to do that, he wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant, uh, which has been out in the countryside for, for years and years and years, and he wants to take it and bring it into Jerusalem and make Jerusalem the center of worship. Let me put it another way. He wants to make worship the centerpiece of the nation, the focus of the nation. And, and listen, that's a good thing. He's doing the right thing, but as we'll discover in just a moment, he goes about it the wrong way. Now let's get some context. The, the backdrop for this actually happened years before, all the way back in 1 Samuel chapter 4, 5, and 6. Remember in 1 Samuel chapters 4 through 6, we saw that, that Israel loses a battle against the Philistines. And they think, you know what? Maybe the reason we lost the battle is because, the, the, because God's presence wasn't with us in the battlefield. Maybe we should bring the Ark of the Covenant into the battlefield with us. And so basically they're, they're treating the Ark of God like, it, like it's a good luck charm, like it's a lucky rabbit's foot, which by the way, wasn't so lucky for the rabbit. But they're treating like this good luck charm and, 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 and they bring it to the battlefield only to not only lose the battle, but they lost the ark in the process. So now the Philistines have the ark and the Philistines bring it to the Philistine city of, 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 of Ashdod, but God's wrath breaks out against them and the people break out in tumors. So then they ship it off to the Philistine city of Gath and the same thing happens to them. They break out in tumors. And so then they send it off to the Philistine city of Ekron. And it seemed that everywhere the ark went, the same thing happened to everyone. Everyone kept breaking out in tumors till finally they're like, you know what? Let's get rid of this thing once and for all. Let's give it back to the Jews. So they load it up on a cart. The cart's now pulled by two milk cows and they send it back to Israel. They send it back to the people of Israel. Now, as they're sending it back, all of a sudden the Israelites see it and they're so excited, they're so happy. They run up to it and they look inside the ark. But, but the Bible says you're not supposed to look inside the ark. And so the Bible says that God struck 50,000 of them dead right on the spot. So because of that, they then sent the ark to the house of Abinadab, who was the priest at the time, who lived in the city of Kiriath-Jearim, or as it's also called, Baal Judah. So they sent it to the house of Abinadab and that's where it's been for the last 70 years. And so now after 70 years, David now wants to take the Ark of the Covenant and he wants to bring it to Jerusalem again to make Jerusalem the center of worship, to make worship the center of the people, the center of the nation. And so they, they loaded up on a new cart, it says. And then in verse three, it says that, that this new cart was being led by Uzzah and, and his brother Ahio. They were the ones driving the cart. Now, by the way, their names are very interesting. Their Hebrew names, the Hebrew name Uzzah is a name that means strength, and the Hebrew name Ahio is a name that means friendly, strength and friendly. So basically, you've got like the security team and the welcome team, strength and friendly, pulling the cart. They're the ones leading the cart. And it's interesting, it says that, that it was a new cart that they put the ark on. And, and listen, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, when you think about it, how did the ark get to them in the first place? It came on a cart. It was, it was sent to them on a cart, so it arrived on a cart, and now that they're sending it out, they send it out the same way it came. It showed up on a cart, they're sending it out on a cart. But there's one problem with that, and the problem was that, frankly, the people of God were treating the Ark of God the same way the enemies of God had treated the Ark of God. 
Listen, it's one thing when the enemies of God, the, the Philistines, it's one thing when they handle the ark of God that way because they don't know any better. But it's something else when the people of God who are supposed to know better handle it the same way the enemies of God handled it. That's part of the problem. And so they loaded up on this cart and, and, and they're sending it on its way. And it says that, that the oxen stumbled. And so in verse six, Uzzah put, puts out his hand. You know, he, he stops it from falling over. Now we think, you know, what's the problem with that? I mean, what's wrong with that? That doesn't sound like a bad thing. Well, here's the problem. The problem is that there's a scripture in, in, in Numbers chapter four, verse 15, that says, they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. Now you have to understand, Uzzah and his brother Ahio they weren't just regular Joes. They just weren't the average guy. They, 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 these weren't regular guys. These were priests. In other words, these were men who devoted their lives to the memorization of Scripture. Memorizing Scriptures like Numbers 4.15 that says, They shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. So Uzzah reaches out, he grabs hold of it, and, and, and then we see that it says that the anger of God burned against him. And in verse 7, it says that he struck him there because of his error. Now listen, we read the word error, and, 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 and we read it as, as if it's a synonym to the word mistake. You know, like, oh, he just made a mistake. You know, I mean, look, we, we all make mistakes. I mean, we're only human, flesh and blood. I mean, you know, look, I mean, we, we, we all mess up from time to time. What's the big deal? It was just a mistake. Well, the problem is that that is not the Hebrew word that was being used here. The Hebrew word here does not mean mistake. Rather, the Hebrew word here is shal. And shal literally is translated irreverence. They were handling it with irreverence. Remember, they had loaded, up, loaded it up on a cart the same way the Philistines did, the same way the enemies of God did. The people of God were handling it like the enemies of God. And so it was being handled with irreverence. So God strikes Uzzah. And, and now it says that in verse 8 that David was angry because the Lord broke out against Uzzah. So, you know, David's frustrated. He's, he's, he, he's, he's, he's thinking, you know, listen, I was doing the right thing. I was worshiping God. I'm trying to make worship the center of the nation. You know, I'm trying to lead people in worship. I was doing the right thing. Yeah, David, you were doing the right thing. But the problem is you were doing the right thing the wrong way. And as Jace O'Neill put it, the right thing done the wrong way is still the wrong thing. Listen, the Bible is very clear. There was a right way, a proper way to handle the ark, a proper way to move and transport the ark. We read about that in Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25, uh, verse 12, it says, cast four gold rings and attach them to its four feet. Two rings on each side. Make poles from acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings at the sides of the ark and carry it. In another location, we read that the ones who were supposed to carry it were the Levites, the priests. And they weren't to carry it on, an, on, on, on a cart. They were to lift it up on their shoulders. It was to be carried by, on these poles that were inserted into the sides on the shoulders of the priest. And so when you carried it, the Bible says that's how you transport it, not on a cart. And so as a result, now verse 9, it says that, that David was afraid of the Lord that day. Now we read that and, and it says that David was afraid of the Lord. And we're like, oh, that's not good. No, you know what? It was good. In fact, it was very good because the, the Hebrew word used here for afraid is the Hebrew word yara, which is a word that, that literally is translated reverence. 
It's translated venerate. It's translated respect. It could be literally translated stand in awe. And so we put it all together. And what we see is that at first, the people of God were handling the ark irreverently. They were handling it the same way the enemies of God were. They weren't handling it with reverence. But then all of this happens, and now David is standing in reverence of God. He's standing in awe of God. And now as we pick it up in verses 12 and 13, we discover that worship is serious business. Verse 12. And it was told to King David... The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom in, 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 in all that belongs to him because of the ark. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to, to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark, now notice it doesn't say it's on the cart. They're now bearing it on their shoulders like the Bible, the word of God tells them to carry it on their shoulders. Those who bore the ark uh, of the Lord had gone six steps and then he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. Now, by the way, you should know that there's a sister passage to this. There's a, a companion passage. That, that sister passage is 1 Chronicles chapter 15. You might want to write that down. 1 Chronicles chapter 15 is a passage that kind of fills in the rest of the blanks. It tells us the rest of the story, and it tells us that, that David basically realized where they went wrong. And having realized where they went wrong, he gathers, he gathers the people, he gathers the priests, he gathers the Levites. And in 1 Chronicles 15, verse 13, uh, David says, because you Levites did not carry the ark the first time, the anger of the Lord our God burst out against us. We failed to ask God how to move it properly. And so now David goes to the word of God. And, 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 and they see how the word of God tells them how God is to be worshipped. Now it's worship and the word. The word tells them how to worship God and how this is to be moved. And now as they're moving the ark, now they're singing and now they're rejoicing. David Guzik in his commentary says, when, when the worship was in the proper order, it was filled with gladness and joy. And so ultimately, this reminds us that, that, that worship is serious business. And by that, what I mean is that Exodus 25 told them how to move it. And when they didn't move it right, it cost them their life. And so for the priest, worship is serious business. It's a matter of life or death. In fact, for example, Exodus chapter 28, verses 34 and 35. That was Exodus chapter 28, verses 34 and 35. In those verses, we see that the, that the priest is, is in the danger of death if he doesn't dress properly for worship. Then likewise, Exodus chapter 30, verses 17 through 21. Exodus 30, 17 through 21, we see that the priest again is in danger of death if he doesn't wash himself properly for worship. And then Numbers chapter 4, verses 15 through 20 uh, tell us that the priest is in danger of dying if he doesn't follow God's directions for his ministry. And then finally, Leviticus chapter 10, verses 8 through 11. Leviticus 10, verses 8 through 11, the priest is in danger of dying if he does not abstain from alcohol while serving in the sanctuary. And so what we see that is that for the priest, worship was, was serious business. It was a matter of life or death. I was reading the book Real Worship by Warren Wiersbe, and it's interesting, in the book he talks about how, how on one occasion he was invited to be a guest speaker at a worship conference. Now, I don't know that they ever invited him back, but, but he was invited to be a guest speaker at this worship conference. And so he says he, he's up there, and he's, he's at this conference speaking to, to hundreds, if not thousands, of, 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 of worship leaders and musicians and singers, and he got up and he asked this question. He said, 
if you were an Old Testament priest and you serve God as you're serving him now, how long would it be before the Lord would kill you? <laughs> it's a sobering question. Listen, this reminds us that when the people of God disregard the word of God, that's not true worship of God. It's worship and the word. And so now having gone to the word, they see how God's to be worshiped. And now they're singing and they're rejoicing. In fact, we pick up in verse 14 through 19. We see that David is dancing before the Lord. Verse 14. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. And so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. And the ark of the Lord came into the city of, of David. And Michal, uh, the, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. Notice, he was just leaping and dancing. And yet she despised him. Verse 17, and they brought the ark of the Lord and, and, and set it in its place inside the tent that David pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when, when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed each to his own house. Now remember, back in verse 1, we were told that this, this procession started out as 30,000 people. That's a lot of raisin cakes. And so it, it, it tells us here that David danced before the Lord with all his might wearing a linen ephod. Now I just want to take just a minute to try to clear up some confusion on this, okay? Uh, because let me just say that this was not a magic mic moment, if you know what I mean. Now I say that because so many people, when they read this, they, for whatever reason, they want to read into it that David was dancing in his fruit of the looms, that he was dancing in his royal underwear. Listen, that's not what it said. It said that he was dancing in his linen ephod. Now for us, as the reader, it becomes our responsibility to ask ourselves, what in the world is a linen ephod? So we need to ask ourselves, what in the world is a linen ephod? I'm glad you asked. For the answer, we need to go back to the sister passage. Uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 27, it says, And David was dressed in a robe of fine linen, not underwear of fine linen, a robe of fine linen, as were all the Levites who carried the ark, and also the singers, and Kenaniah the choir leader. David also wearing a priestly garment. And so it, it was a priestly garment, it says. Now that's how it reads in the, in the New Living Translation. If you're reading from the New American Standard, yours would say a, an ephod of linen. Same as it's worded here in, in, in 2 Samuel, a linen ephod. And so linen ephod is, is not royal underwear. It was a priestly robe that he was wearing. Again, David Guzik in his commentary says, in this context, David's linen ephod means that he set aside his royal robes and dressed just like everyone else in his procession. And so you got to picture this in your mind. The picture is, is that you've got this choir director and, 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 and he's leading this, this, whole, this whole worship procession. You've got the band and the, and the singers. You've got the Levites and the priests and they're, and they're all wearing the same thing. They're all wearing Levitical robes, priestly robes. You know, when we think priestly robes, think of like, like choir robes. So everybody's wearing their choir robe and, and, and they're marching and they're dancing as they're making their way to Jerusalem with the ark. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon David and he's not having a moment of indecency. Because again, we know that, that God's not a God of indecency. He's not a God of disorder. 
You know, 1 Corinthians uh, 14.33 tells us, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14.40, let all things be done decently and in order. So David wasn't behaving indecently. He wasn't in his royal fruit of the looms. He was in a priestly robe, dancing before the Lord. And on that note, we pick it up in verse 20 to the end, and, and we discover two ways that we can make the same mistake that David made. And the mistake he made was, was to do the right thing the wrong way. So again, verse 20, And David returned to bless his household, but Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today! uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father. Now, you know it's getting real when you start you know, throwing parents under the bus. It was the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over, over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I'll make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you spoke, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michal, the, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Now listen, if you read six different commentaries on this, you're going you're gonna to find ten different opinions. And I mean, there's conjecture, there's speculation all over the place. I mean, there's some who think, well, you know what? Maybe David was in his royal underwear and dancing around, and that's why she got so offended. There's others who think, well, you know what? Maybe, maybe what had happened was, you know, he had to take off his, his, his royal robes, his kingly robe, and then put on this priest robe. So for maybe a brief minute, he was uncovered. And maybe the female servants were the ones who were uncovering him and, and helping him to cover in a new robe. And, and maybe she got offended at that. And, and then there's this conjecture and there's that speculation. And, and yet at the end of all of it, what we need to realize was that in that culture, it would have been very undignified for a monarch, let alone the, the king of Israel, to exchange his royal robe for nothing more than a choir robe, a priestly robe. And so ultimately, the real reason Michal is, is, is offended was not because David was, was behaving indecently. Rather, she's offended because he wasn't behaving regally. He, 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 you know, he, he wasn't acting like a royal. She was offended because this was kind of beneath his stature. And so, you know, the way he's out there behaving, I mean, you know, most commentators uh, virtually agree that, 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 that whatever was going on, her words were dripping with sarcasm. They're, 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 they're just seething with, 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 with hyperbole. She's making these extreme statements. And, and, and really, she's the daughter of a king. And, and so she's like, you know what? If anybody knows how a royal should behave, it's me, and, and, and you are behaving anything but like a royal. I mean, you might as well be running around there naked for the way you're acting and the way, the way you're making me feel. And so whatever the conjecture is, at the end of all this, we learn a few things. Number one, we learn that, that, that we can do the right thing the wrong way. Listen, it was right that David wanted to worship. It was right that David wanted to bring the ark of Jerusalem. I'm sorry, bring the ark into Jerusalem and make Jerusalem the, 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 the center of worship. Make worship really the center of the people, the center of the nation. That was right. But because David didn't turn to the word, because he didn't follow what the scripture said regarding how the ark was to be moved and handled, he ended up doing the right thing the wrong way, and it cost a life. 
And in the same way, I think, I think you and I, we can make the same mistake. I think one of the ways that we can make the same mistake that David made might be when we, when we, when we overemphasize, when we, when we elevate experiences, when we elevate uh, feelings, when we elevate emotions over the Scripture. Because again, it's not worship or the Word, it's worship and the Word. And so sometimes people come up and they'll say, well, you know, the, the, the Spirit just came upon me and, and, you know, and I was just overcome with emotion and I, and I, and I just lost control. But the Bible says in, in, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, that, that the fruit of the Spirit, among other things, is self-control. Or somebody might say, well, you know, the, the Spirit came upon me and just bypassed my mind. And I, I didn't even know what I was doing. I didn't even know what I was saying. But, but Psalm uh, 47, verse 7 says, Sing praises with understanding. Likewise, 1 Corinthians 14, 15 says, I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with understanding. Now, don't get me wrong. Listen, when we worship, we need to worship in the Spirit. And I say that, there, there, are, there are a lot of churches out there who, who are afraid of spiritual things, and they're so afraid of spiritual things that they, that they swing all the way over to the other extreme. They want to avoid it altogether, and, and as a result, their, their worship is stale and, 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 and lifeless. I, I think Bishop uh, Hanley Moulet was right when he said, I'd rather tone down a fanatic than resurrect a corpse. So we need to worship in the spirit. But remember, Jesus, as we said earlier in John 4, 24, said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Worship and the word. It reminds me of, of, of the reformer Martin Luther. Now, we all know that Martin Luther was, was a great scholar. He knew the word of God. He studied the word of God. But did you know that Martin Luther was also a very skilled and gifted musician and singer? In fact, uh, he ultimately not only led the, the quote-unquote reformation, but he also led a, a revival of bringing music back into the church, bringing praise and worship back into the church. In fact, as his story goes, at the age of 14 years old, his parents made him earn his own way, earn his own keep by, by working and earning money, and he did that by going out and singing and, and playing music on the street corners. And years later, he said these words. He said, next to the word of God, music deserves the highest praise. And then he went on to say, the two things every Christian needs is a hymnal from which they can sing and a Bible they could understand. Let them loose and the flame will spread on its own. It's worship and the word. It's spirit and in truth. Now, number two, I think the second mistake we make is, is that sometimes we replace working for worshiping. We replace work for worship. You know, I think of, uh, of the sisters Martha and Mary in, in, in Luke's gospel. Now, of course, Mary, I mean, she was, she was extravagant in worship, right? We, we read that she sat at the feet of Jesus and she took very costly perfume and, and she anointed the feet of Jesus with her hair and with the perfume and she was extravagant in worship. Now, her sister Martha, on the other hand, I mean, she was a worker. I mean, she's in the kitchen and she's, she, she's working her finger to the bone. She's trying to, to make a meal worthy of a king, and so she's in there working and working, and yet her fault was that she assumed that working for the Lord was the same thing as worshiping the Lord. And so, you know, she wanted everything to be right. She's, you know, she's, she's in the kitchen. She wants the meal to be perfect. She wants the place setting to be perfect. A place setting she probably made by hand, because after all, her full name was probably Martha Stewart, right? 
So she's in there, she's working and working. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, listen, Martha, her, her heart was in the right place. She was doing the right thing. But Luke chapter 10, verse 40 says, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. The prayer of every overworked volunteer in the church. But notice her, her desire was good. Her desire was right. I mean, what she wanted to do was good. She loved the Lord, so she wanted to serve him. But I think this is yet another example of doing the right thing the wrong way because she had replaced serving him for worshiping him. And so the Bible says she was distracted by much serving. Like how Skip Heidzik put it when he says to the Lord, what you do with him is far more important than what you do for him. And so how does Jesus respond to, 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 to Martha? Well, he says in, in Luke chapter 10, verse 41, it says, and Jesus answered her and said, Martha, Martha, you, you were worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the, that good part which will not be taken away from her. He says she's chosen the one thing, the, 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 the one good thing. I like how Greg Laurie puts it when he says, don't forget the main thing. The main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. That's the main thing. And so what, what's the one good thing? What's the main thing? Well, the main thing is sitting at the feet of Jesus and worshiping Jesus, adoring Jesus. That's what Mary did, and that's what we need to do. And by the way, that's what David did. David later wrote these words in Psalm 27, verse 4. He says, One thing I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and, and to seek him in his temple. It's not worship or the word. It's worship and the word. It's spirit and in truth. And when we worship him, let's keep the main thing the main thing because that's the main thing. Amen. So, Father, we do. We worship you. As we close this service, Lord, we're not just singing a song. We're not just going through a motion. Lord, we are pouring our heart out to you. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth. Your word should inspire us to worship you with all that we have. The truth of your scripture, the truth of your word should inspire us to pour out everything we have to the King of glory. Because of your glory, you are truly worthy to be worshipped. And so we worship you in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton Podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.